Morning. Morning. Happy 4th of July. Online campus, people catching up later on. We're glad that you guys are all here. And um, yeah, I'm Joel. I'm the Connect Pastor here. And uh, have you guys already seen for, uh, fireworks? Is that still in the works for you like later on today? Um, have you guys spent any time on the water? Is that part of the, your 4th of July plan? I mean, this is, this is me. The summertime, this is my favorite. You got long nights. You got uh, bright, shiny, warm days. That's it. Now, when you're an Ohio resident like I am, it's the winter stuff, those dark February nights that, get, that are like dark early and are really cold. That's what breaks me. In fact, unfortunately, I wanted to tell you a story from one of those nights in, Fe- in uh, February of 2016. Because uh, Melissa and I were sleep deprived. We had just brought home twin girls the month before. And uh, she was recovering from her C-section surgery. I was going under the knife a week later uh, because of a knee injury. And yet none of those physical ailments are what brought me (laughs) grumbling to my knees that night. We had put the girls out of bed. We had about four hours before the next feeding. She went straight to bed. I ambled downstairs. Head between my uh, knees, crying out to God, just because I was, I was broken. Um, what was wrong was that I had spent the better part of two years preparing myself to be a dad and had totally forgotten or didn't know that I was going to have to also, at the same time, say goodbye to my old self, the, the, the free-loving guy who for like 30-plus years didn't have to worry about anything other than like my easygoing spouse, and now, now I was finally coming to grips that I was ruined. I cried out to God, and I was just broken at that moment. It was dark, but it was an important moment. It's necessary because the dad that I wanted to be and the guy who was doing whatever he pleased, those two people couldn't coexist. Death was inevitable for one of them, and so I'm thankful for that night, um, but I wouldn't want to live there. It's an important part, I think, even of being um, the kind of follower that Jesus has called us to be. I think that's kind of exactly what he said. He said, you know, death, die to yourself and live as I would. You know, because being ruined gets a bad rap sometimes. You think ruined, you think like um, new school shoes and you play in the mud and you come home and you get grounded because your mom says you ruined your new shoes, right? But think about ruined in this way. When I was in college, the first time that I had Chipotle, I remember standing in line thinking, all right, guys, what do we order here? Um, my friend said, a burrito. And I'm like, well, yeah, but what else? And they're like, no, no, you don't get it. And after I had Chipotle for the first time, I was ruined for all other Tex-Mex. Do not come at me with that Moe's stuff. I do not want to hear anything about, heaven forbid, hothead burritos. You can keep that, you people with no palates. All right? It's a long-running debate for me and other people, but Chipotle ruined me for all those because I don't, once I had it, I don't want to go back to anything else. And that's, uh, I think that's what we're going to see in the story of Ezekiel. It's not just a book. It's about a man who was ruined by an encounter with God. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. You'll see that when we get into the book of Ezekiel here, not just in an academic or a Bible study sense, but man, this is, this is, uh, this is a book that's been preserved for us to learn from. And we got to draw a distinction between things that have been preserved for us and things that were written specifically to us. You know, the Gettysburg Address was not written to you and I, to 21st century Midwesterners. It's been preserved for us, and it's an important part of history. Same with Ezekiel. It's an important thing. But you and I are not its original audience. 
And also, we need to then protect ourselves against putting ourselves in the center of a story that we don't belong in the middle of. All right? Like, certainly, we will draw things out of this that is important for us to, to know and, and learn from. But man, I think Ezekiel would be very offended if we took his story that he wrote about his experiences with God and put ourselves in the middle of that because he is all about the God that he serves. Ezekiel is pretty cool because he is like uncompromising. He's a devoted man of God. And, and what we'll see is that uh, you'll, you'll like the, the character of Ezekiel and the man that uh, the example that he gives. So I'll give you this background. The chronicler um, writes in 2 Chronicles 36 about this period in Israel's history, just a couple of shortened sentences, and you'll get how dark it is. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king in Israel. <clears throat> he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years, and he did good or bad? Evil. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him, bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar also took ba uh, to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put him in his temple there. He also carted off a whole host of Israelites to live in a foreign land. And, and you see this map here of just how arduous that journey was. This, this group of people, it was meant to humili humiliate the, the, um, the losers of the battle. It was meant to weaken the country so they couldn't rise back up against Nebuchadnezzar. And, then, and here they are, just living so far away from their home and what they know and what they, they want. And Ezekiel is among those captives. And uh, you'll see that, man, he is so much of what his fellow countrymen are not. He's repentant. He's uh, willing to suffer for God. He, because, you'll see, he is a man who is changed and, and changed forever because he encounters God. What you'll see here in the general setting of Ezekiel is that it's, it's a pretty approachable book. It's, it's, uh, it's got some weird images and stuff like that, but it is it will make sense to you when you know just some of the small background. And, and one of the things that I think that we can draw out of this is just the sad, sobering statement that God's judgment does come. We can get really wrapped up because it's, it's a great message and it's true about preaching about God's mercy and grace and forgiveness and forget that he does have other aspects to him and the Israelites are finding this out in this period of history. God's judgment comes. It's super important for us to remember this, too, because it's a really important part of the repentance process. Man, when you and me were singing that song, like, forgive us, just, just a couple of minutes ago, that was powerful. Like, it's an important part of the repentance process, because if, if uh, you don't know the bad news, there's no such thing as good news until you feel the bad news. I mean, just imagine trying to convince somebody that they need God's grace if they don't think that they have anything to repent of, that they don't have any problems, they don't have any sins. It doesn't make any sense. They won't, they won't want it. it. It's like, what do all infomercials have in common? They want to convince you you got a need that you didn't know you had before. And that's why you'll see those black and white videos of somebody scraping a pot and then, then full color, like this shiny bronze pan, you can flip an egg without even using butter. Or you'll see some middle-aged person in like stop-motion video like tangling with a, a hose and then they're like, oh no, this won't work. But hey, this hose, we got this new hose that will never get tangled and will even shrink up for easy storage after you use it. Call an order now. Some of you own that hose, don't you? <laughs> you got that in your garage. 
You've never taken it out of the box. Man, yeah, it's important to know what you need or else you'll never feel it. And so we'll see here in Ezekiel's story that he's a man who's, who's ruined by his encounter of God. And you don't have to go far in the story. He starts out at the very beginning telling how God shows him a vision, encounters him. And I'll just read these first couple of paragraphs of Ezekiel's story with me. If you want to find it, the book of Ezekiel, you can just type it in your browser or find it on your phone. But it's Old Testament, so it's the first part of the the Bible, and in, in the verse, very first chapter of Ezekiel, we'll even show an artist's rendition of a, of a video of what uh, maybe his vision may have possibly looked like. But here is what Ezekiel says about his story. On July 31st of my 30th year, while I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. This happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. The Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest, beside the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. And he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. And from the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet had hoofs like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. And under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. The wings of each living being touched the wings of the beings beside it. Each moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. And each had a human face in front, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, the face of an eagle at the back. And each had two pairs of outstretched wings, one pair stretched out to touch, touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the spirit chose. They moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. And the living beings looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches. And lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them. And the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. Whew, what a wild birthday party. I know it's not super clear from the English reading, but the original audience knew exactly what Ezekiel was saying. This was his 30th birthday, the day on which the son of a priest could become a full-fledged priest, you know, leaving his internship behind. He could now be the thing that probably when he was a boy, he dreamt of being, you know, a, a, a man of God working with his people, serving his God, and he dreamt of being in the temple in Jerusalem, but instead, here he is living outside some foreign nation's capital on a riverbank. And instead of having some commemoration ceremony with his grandpa and his dad, slapping him on the back and saying, congratulations, welcome to the club, son, he's, he's given this disturbing vision from God. And, uh, and, and, and I, I laugh a couple of times and I'm reading this, and, and maybe the image will be disturbing to you too, but I just picture Ezekiel with a party horn in his mouth and just drooping as he's like getting all these like weird messages from God. So if that messes you up too, I'm sorry. But... He, uh, he's sitting there, and I'm just thinking to myself, man, Ezekiel knows from this very day that, man, things aren't going to be able to go back to the way that they were before. Or 
Maybe, thankfully, we don't have this example. Maybe if Ezekiel had made worse decisions, he could have tried to force that. He could have tried to water down God's message. He could have ignored it and, and, and tried to continue to be you know, just a normal priest like he had thought and wanted and planned to. But, but no, he, he says, you know, God, your way, your words, whatever goes. Can you imagine encountering God, having the hand of God on you and not being changed? Can you imagine encountering God and, and, and it not changing you? Maybe, sadly, for some of us, we're like, oh, I guess I have come close to that. Ezekiel was training to be a priest, and if you know anything about the priesthood in, in ancient Israel, it was an important job. Like the, From the time of the exile out of Egypt, God had designated one tribe, don't put it up yet, one tribe of, uh, of the Israelites to be the priest for the whole nation. What was that tribe? Oh, man, you were all on it, all on it. They, they beat you online campus. They, they, they said it faster than you could type it. Yeah, the Levites, the tribe of Levi. And, and here's something I never thought about. So many of the people that God uses to speak through, a.k.a. his prophets in the Old Testament, so many of the people that God speaks through are actually not from the line of priests. Ezekiel is one of them. Jeremiah, Isaiah, some, but so many are not. Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, jo- uh, Jonah, Joel, Amos. So many of these guys, just, they're, they're not from the line of priests. God chooses to see you once. It's a really cool tidbit that reminds me about how, man, even still today, God chooses to see you once. It's just because we put like pastors in front of our name because I work for a church, I mean, that does not change that God has the same general calling on my life as he does on yours to be and make followers of him. The same thing that qualifies me at the end of my life to, to, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and it's the same thing for you. It's why Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, wrote to spiritual outcasts in the first century. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's a little sidebar, but I I find it interesting that that you see that in Ezekiel's story, that you you can imagine that somebody who's not out on a spiritual pilgrimage, Ezekiel's not looking for God to send him a vision. He's just invaded by God. Have you had God interrupt something, <laughs> big plans of yours? An unplanned pregnancy. Have you had an unexpected death, a bad diagnosis, a falling apart of a relationship? Maybe you have actually had God stop you in your tracks and force you to see something you didn't want to see. And if you've had any of that stuff, man, you've you got to recognize, like, th- these are important character development moments in our lives. They're always important, and that's where Ezekiel is. He could have, he could have chosen to, like, bury it and, and be like, oh, that was cool, and I'll, like, put that in my back pocket and talk about it and be emotional about it whenever there's an opportunity, but, like, I'm not going to let it change the way that I live my daily life. That's not what happens. And you can see the vision, after the vision, here's what happens in chapter 2, if you're flipping with me. Chapter 2, verse 1, stand up, son of man, the voice said. I want to speak with you. And the spirit came into me as he spoke and set me on my feet. And I listened carefully to his words. I would imagine you would. Son of man, he said, I'm sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. 
They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. Oh, so this isn't going to be a good message then. All right. Oh, so Ezekiel's not going to be a popular figure. Um, no, no, quite the opposite. He's going to be a bearer of bad news. That's, uh, that's not fun. That's not a good look on a lot of people. Goes on, he says, God, well, you can tell God gets serious, and um, you should be a little afraid when God gets this redundant. Um, he says, they are stubborn, hard-hearted people. But I'm sending you to say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or refuse to listen, remember, they are rebels. At least they will know that they have had a prophet among them. Son of man, do not fear them or their words. <laughs> Ezekiel's like, wait, why, why would I fear them? Um, do not be afraid even though their threats surround you like nettles and briars and stinging scorpions. Do not be dismayed by their dark scowls even though they are rebels. You must give them this, my message whether they listen or not. And get this. But they won't listen. For they are completely rebellious. That's bad. That's, that's not only bad that Ezekiel's got this bad news to give them. Now God tells them, oh, also, it's not going to be successful at all. I'm giving you a job, and I know it's going to fail. Oh, well, that sounds like fun. This is, this is a great birthday party, you know. Maybe afterwards we can go donate some blood, get that root canal taken care of afterwards. <laughs> I think this is the part that would bug me the most. Uh, I think it... My personality, maybe just humans in general, we want to accomplish things. We, we want our lives to matter. Can you imagine God giving you a, a responsibility and saying, oh, but it's not going to uh, work out the way that you want, like from the, from the word go. But again, I think that's my selfishness and wanting my glory and, and my whatever to, to shine through. Thankfully, Ezekiel is not dealing with that. He gets that he's not the most important part of this grand story that's going on. I can imagine Ezekiel saw a path of least resistance in front of him. He could take God's message and, uh, and maybe say it quietly, maybe then also reassure the Israelites on the side. I am sure a lot of them are thinking, man, we just want God to say all is forgiven, that, you know, we're, can we just say we're sorry and go back to the way the things were? Maybe some of them are thinking, God's going to send another 10 plagues just like he did in Egypt, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's going to be like, oh, man, let him go. Let him go home. The problem is that's not the message that Ezekiel got, and so thankfully that's not the message that Ezekiel gave. Here he is sitting with a holy God, seeing this vision of God on the Kabar River just outside of Babylon, you know, sin city of its day, and yet his God, the God who was residing in Jerusalem in Solomon's temple where, where he had for hundreds of years as part of his relationship with his people, and now he's in exile with them. And you'll see that Ezekiel's visions tell him God doesn't want to be there anymore because of how profane, because of how rebellious, because of how bad things have gotten. And that that would be an extremely hurtful thing for Ezekiel to come to grips with. That, that is God no longer, not only is he not, not getting to be near the temple, but now his God isn't either. And so here he is, just this holy God outside of a pagan city. 
sitting in time out with his kids, just bearing their punishment with them, t- trying, trying to teach them something and knowing that they, a lot of them are just going to close their ears off to it. And, and this is a sad thing. I'm, I'm sorry that it's just sad that not everything that we can talk about is happy-go-lucky, but man, this is reality. That, this moment in Israel's history and the judgment that they're experiencing is every bit as real as the 4th of July weekend that you and I are experiencing right now. This is, this is real life, and it, it's something you and I can learn from. It, it's important to know that if our hearts don't feel the pain, the weight of our sin, we'll never be able to be truly repentant. At best, we'll be sorry we got caught. Because what we'll see here is for the nation of Israel, even after the first part of the judgment comes, with Nebuchadnezzar hauling off just a portion of the people, before even the temple's destroyed and stuff like that, what we'll see is that what they've collectively learned is nothing. They haven't even begun to hear God's message. They'll still shut Ezekiel out, as God predicts. And it makes me wonder, how do we do this? How do you, how do you go through all of this and not stop and think, okay, wait a second. Have I contributed to this? Or is God saying something to me? Do I need to change? How do we get to that point where we don't hear God saying? How do we miss it? I'll throw out some stuff here. Maybe we just pass the blame because we see plenty of people um, in the book of Ezekiel saying God's punishing us unfairly. So many of the sins that he's mad about are things that our parents have done and we were just handed them and stuff like that. You can pass the blame if you want. I think it'll probably be as successful of a defense as when I tried to um, get MoviePass to intervene with their customer service. It's just not going to work. Maybe you can assume that it's just a coincidence, you know, that like, ah, I don't really have a big part to play. This is a bigger story than me and, and stuff like that. Maybe you grade yourself on a curve and you think um, God's got bigger fish to fry out there, you know? I, there are people that are doing so many worse things. He's dealing with them first. I don't, he's, I don't have to worry about it because there is worse stuff. That's an easy way to miss God talking to you. And maybe you just refuse to believe. You just, you just can't stomach it. You can't fathom it. Call it denial, but you dig your heels in. And I see people in Ezekiel's story doing this too. They're like, Ezekiel, dude, you're, you're getting a little bit extreme for us. I mean, the temple has never been torn down before. So I don't think it's possible it's going to be torn down in the future. It reminds me of myself in 2020, March of 2020, like, the world's never shut down because of a pandemic before, and at least not in my lifetime. It's not going to be possible. You know, we have an amazing ability to, uh, to, to rebuff and to, to reject ideas and thoughts that, uh, that we don't like. It's, it's part of the human condition, I think. And, and so um, it reminds me of this ridiculous tweet I saw this week of some guy said that my ability to disassociate has become too powerful. Now I'm watching the fall of America like, hmm, yeah, this happens to empires while I shop for dog hats on on Amazon. (laughs) Man, if you think that you're not a part of the problem, you think that it's not going to affect you, if you think that you don't have no part to play, that your power to disassociate has become too powerful. I think that's where some of the people in Ezekiel's story are at. They're like, you know what? This is somebody else's issue. Um, God's not actually speaking to us. It can't get any worse, whatever. But, man, it's a problem not seeing that God's judgment 
It, it can come. And that true repentance requires us to feel the weight of our sin. Because God's grace isn't good news. God's grace is not good news unless we first know what the bad news is. So when God shows up and wrecks Ezekiel's plans and and tears to shreds all of the Israelites' next best-case scenarios, they could have turned right then and be like, oh, okay, this is as bad as as what what we, we, we fear and we need to respond accordingly, but, but they don't. And so this message that, Isaiah, that Ezekiel is given is that uh, the Israelites aren't going back to Jerusalem anytime soon. In fact, more um, captives are going to be coming here to the Kabar River, and Jerusalem is going to be raised, and the temple is going to be destroyed. That's the future that God conveyed to Ezekiel, that Ezekiel had to pass on, and that so many of the people just flat out rejected. Now nah, we don't believe it. Yeah, we're not, we don't, we're not buying it. It's bad. For more than 70 years, the Israelites stayed there in Babylonian captivity. But this is not just a story about a national tragedy or about people not turning around. This is a story about God and his glory, what he gets and what he wants. And this is what Ezekiel's really great at telling us about. When you read this book along with us through this month, you'll see it's a pretty um, easy outline, and it's one of the few Old Testament books that's chronological. Ancient authors didn't like value that the same way that you and I do, but it's chronological. It's broken up into three parts. The first section of visions is as God's visions to Ezekiel about um, Israel and Jerusalem before its fall. The second part is God's visions of his judgment on all nations, which is also really cool because this is the point. God's saying, look, I'm not just God over you guys. I am God over the whole world. I'm going to show that. And then, then the last part is God's vision of the fall of what's going to take place after the fall of Jerusalem. This is where a lot of the hope comes in. This is where it's kind of cool when you think about this, this young man who wants to become a priest from the time he was a boy. He imagines himself growing up in Jerusalem and being a priest just like his dad and his granddad and, and the temple there in Jerusalem, and he doesn't get any of that stuff. Well, here, at the end of his life, God gives him visions of what this rebuilt Jerusalem and rebuilt temple would be. I imagine there's a lot of tears <laughs> as, as Ezekiel's getting to see what God's going to do and all of that. And, you know, without even getting into all the weirdness of that vision and what the prophecies could mean for the future and stuff like that, just see what, what it did for Ezekiel, <laughs> right? It, it ruined him. It caused him to say, you know what? God is holy. He is on that throne, and he can go where he wants. He is bigger than, than the people. He's not scared of Nebuchadnezzar right down the road in Babylon. He's not scared of any of that stuff. Ezekiel sees that, and he doesn't even fear what, what the Israelites around him are going to say. Just a couple of weeks ago, after I preached here, I got to go spend the afternoon with just one of my daughters, and I took her to a splash pad, and, and she was playing, and there was two girls that came up um, the splash pad to play with her. One of them was in a wheelchair, and I just had this thought come on me like, man, I wonder if any follower of Jesus has prayed for her before. It wasn't a thought I necessarily wanted, but it came on me, and then I also was, got, got the idea that you need to ask her name. It's like, well, this could be a little bit awkward, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to God. So when we're packing up, I take uh, Juliet with me. I see where her parents are, and I plan just to walk by and, you know, um, ask him what her name is and offer to pray and stuff like that. And and as we're walking towards them um, on our way to the car, 
Um, the girl in the wheelchair comes up behind us as we're making our way to her parents, and I get this thought, this scary thought in my head, oh man, they're going to think you're a predator. And I let that fear of man trump what I felt the Spirit of God was telling me to do. And I walked on past. That this, is, this is not the example that Ezekiel gives us. He is, he is going to do what God tells him to do and not worry about the consequences here in this life. Because who is at the center of the story? What is important? Is it, is it important what Ezekiel and his legacy? Is it, is it important what people think about me or you? Is it, is it important what happens even to our country in comparison to the glory of God? No. No, no that stuff doesn't compare. And, and what we'll see is this really sobering thought that God tells Ezekiel, look, that is, that is the center of all of this. He gives Ezekiel first a quick history lesson of, of what, what, what his frustration was with the Israelites in Egypt. And he tells them, look, they rebelled against me and would not listen. They didn't get rid of the vile images they were obsessed with or forsake the idols of Egypt. And then I threatened to pour out my fury on them to satisfy my anger while they were still in Egypt. But I didn't do it. For I acted to protect the honor of my name. I would not allow shame to be brought on my name among the surrounding nations who saw me reveal myself by bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. What God's saying here is it's for his glory that he does these things. He, and that's when he gives Ezekiel that, that really sharp um, prophecy in the future. In Ezekiel 36, he tells them, Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I'm bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. It wasn't because they sat in time out long enough or because... because or because they had said that they were sorry. No, he said, I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. And I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Man, at first glance, that's really harsh sounding. And I think it's just our self-centered ears. Like we're not, we're not used to things not, not being like revolving around what we think and feel. And part of it, a big part of it, is just me not getting the magnitude of God's glory. I don't I don't necessarily all the time think that that's at the center of these stories, and it is. It is God doing these difficult things, being with his people, trying to get them to turn around, knowing that they aren't because they're rebels and working through imperfect prophets. And yet we see that even though his glory and he is at the center of all of this, the cross section for you and I and what we have to do in all of this, the part that we have to play is that is what he says there, that, look, you brought shame on my name when you were scattered among the nations. Even in the Old Testament, they, are, they, they were witnesses of who their God was. And we see that still today, right? When Jesus came, he said, you will be my witnesses in all, among all the nations, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And, and, and here we are still. From the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve, his creation, the, 
man and woman. He gave humans the unique honor and responsibility of being his image bearers. Let us make man in our own image. In the image he created them. And, and, and it's from that point forward then that we are supposed to portray who he is. When we profane and, and misrepresent it, that's what brings shame on his name and is the problem. So you might think then that God made a mistake when he doubled down on his gamble with humanity and sent his own son into the world, but things turned out exactly as he planned. And, and the climax of history on the cross took place. And yet, the curtain was not called. It is still open and the acts are still here because we have the Holy Spirit today. We are still called to be his witnesses. That's, what our, that's not what our responsibility is. That's what our, our, our role is in this world. Jesus tells us that you are the light of the world, that a town built on a hill is not going to be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You're going to see this is all about his glory and what he gets. And you and I have that role and that responsibility. And Ezekiel is a wonderful example of what that looks like. And so our prayer, let us pray, God, please come in, ruin us by giving us a vision of who you are. God, we pray that, that that would be true of us, that you would begin now, that the revival would start here, that we would not be able to be who we were before, that we would not desire what we were and what we desired before, that we wouldn't want to go back to that way, that we would, that we would see a vision of what you have for the future, even through the pain and the frustration and the thing that it's not about us even, that we would be encouraged and strengthened to still follow you through it, to follow you into the real and what's unknown and leave what's comfortable behind, God. May you, may you give us that power and that strength like you have, like you've already promised through your spirit, God. May we continue to live as witnesses and lights in this world. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.